Welcome, welcome to the CutterCast Vlogcast. My name is Seth Larson, and I hope you're doing awesome. I hope now that the hunts are in full swing, you're getting out, you're finding success, and you're having a bunch of fun. Today is another Stories of an Alaskan Guide episode, but it's on the complete opposite spectrum of our first one with Sean DeGray. Today, I sat down with Alaskan guide Tyrell Gray to hear his near-death experience while guiding in Alaska. Now, his story has a ton of lessons to glean from it, and it's very captivating. It might make you wince a little bit, but I think you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Tyrell Gray and Blinded. Story, okay? Yeah. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Cutter Cast. I'm joined today by the one and only Tyrell Gray. Yeah, they don't want to. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> There's only one. <laughs> Tyrell is an Alaskan assistant guide, but yeah. possibly soon to be if we pass some soon, tests. Soon to be, yeah. Sean and I actually. Alaskan Sean, outfitter. Sean plays it down. He says we're just assistant guides. We're actually class A assistant guides, so it's, it's a step above yeah. your average. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, the next step is, is actual registered. Pretty legit. Yeah. Um, how did you get into guiding in Alaska? Actually, through Sean. Yeah, I... Uh, I met Sean through some business um, dealings, and he had been in Alaska forever. His story is really amazing. He went up there just as a kid, and like when Sean was a dealer, or no, he was actually working as a yeah, as a drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> missed it. Yes, cell block D. <laughs> it was a rough week. <laughs> it was one of those weeks, you know. And uh, at the time, I just didn't have any money. I didn't have money to spend on Alaska. It almost seemed like an unattainable dream, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that we all talk about, especially in the hunting world. I mean, it's like it's the last frontier. Yeah, legitimately. And, uh, I met Sean, and, and he was you know, he had these cool stories, and he had all these amazing pictures. And he's like, dude, just come with me and, and pack and film hunts. And so I, at the time, I'm like, dude, this guy's amazing. Like, he's my new best friend. And <laughs> then I get up there and start packing. And literally, your first year with that outfitter you're you're a grunt like you just yeah. we're landing in super cubs up on the top of these ridges and then you'd hunt off of those ridges and so you have a good viewpoint but everything's in the bottom yeah the moose are in the bottom and a moose takes nine backpack trips and they're 100 to 150 pounds a trip and so Gosh. halfway through my second trip i'm like dude sean's a total dick like, <laughs> like, what, not, what are you cool. doing sean <laughs> this is not fun you said it would be fun yeah. but i uh dude i just loved it i fell in love with it and i loved it. it's a, it's an absolutely amazing place sean mentioned it it's magical. Like there's yeah. just something, there's just something about it. It's, yeah. There's something to be, like I don't know of any place, and I've hunted in the entire world, I've never been anywhere where you can set up a camp and you'll never see another human being unless it's a jetliner. That's so like, crazy. You, like there's, like I mean you pick any place here, like we live in Utah, Yeah. anywhere you go in Utah, especially like on the opener of a hunt, <laughs> there's other guys. Yeah. Like you're going to see people. Yeah. And like I, Sean and I, we've actually got some stories in Colorado, we hunted back into a wilderness unit and God, we were back there eight, nine miles, come around the corner and there's some 70 year old dude. He'd got up at three in the morning and started walking so he could be back there for sunup. And I'm just like, what the what? <laughs> And Alaska is just not like that. Like you're yeah. literally hunting millions of acres. That's and so I just so fell in love with it. Crazy. Got a good relationship with the outfitter and he invited me back. And so that's been, um, almost, almost two decades now that I've been going up there every year. Oh my word. Um, I don't do it full time anymore. Um, Sean and I have got to the point where we do it with our friends and take yeah. family and, and buddies that we want to go with. And hopefully we'll have some good follow-up stories for you later oh, this yeah. year because Sean, I've conned him into actually shooting his own moose this year. So we're going <laughs> up. We're going to spend 20 days, just us, and 
We're going to hopefully shoot grizzly bears with oh, our bows. Oh, I love the stories. Yeah, we'll come back. Yeah, hopefully it'll be good. Good, good. Now, you've been guiding for many years. Yeah. And you've had some pretty crazy stories. You actually had an experience that was super serious and life-threatening. Yeah. You you almost lost your life, yeah, actually. Yeah, it, uh, it was a pretty rough one. Um, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things. I think sometimes we get a little cavalier hmm. with what we do. You get you get in a position where you get comfortable with what you're doing. And the perfect example is getting in your car, right? Yeah. You yeah. drive your car so much that you get to the point where you're just like, you don't think about how dangerous a car can actually be. Yeah. And I, I kind of got to that point, honestly, I'd, I'd been guiding at that point for, I don't know, probably four or five years. Cause Alaska is not like a forgiving place. It's like it's a pretty serious place with weather, oh, terrain, yeah. everything. hundred percent. Right? And, and you've got to consider, like right now, let's say, for example, you fell down the stairs. Like mm-hmm. we're going to have an ambulance here in, you know, four or five minutes. We're going to have you in a hospital within 20 minutes. Like you're yeah. gonna be okay. Alaska, like you said, the weather and the transportation are a major obstacle. And where we were guiding at at that time, we would fly into to Anchorage and then we'd take a little twin prop to a little teeny Indian village. And then we'd get in that Indian village, get in a smaller plane and fly it to the main camp. And then from main camp, you'd get into a little teeny super cub and fly it out to the other camp. So you're really, you're so far away that if something bad happened... Like it's like anything is potentially life threatening. Yeah, it could be days or weeks. Weeks, yeah. Yeah. And this situation was actually a culmination of all of those factors. At the time when this happened, we didn't have satellite phones, we didn't have, you know, internet. We're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so we had no way of telling what the weather was like. We would listen to the forecasts on the radio when we could get it, but it's not that detailed. And it's only, you know, forecasting out a day or two. And so I'd actually gone up for it. It was a really weird situation. It was one of those things I learned a lot during this situation um, about listening to myself, listening to my body, my intuition. Um, when I flew up, I just had kind of a weird feeling. And when we got to the first Indian village, I remember getting off the plane, going into the bathroom and just throwing up. And I was just like, man, what in the heck? Like, I feel fine, but I yeah. just have this just overwhelming. Like you had some anxiety yeah, about just something? Yeah, bad anxiety. And- um, we got out to the main camp. It's a spring bear hunt, and so we're hunting on snowmobiles. The spring bear hunts are actually one of my favorite hunts because you can cover so much territory. And so what we're looking for is we're actually looking for tracks. Hmm. So we would look for these bears. What will happen during the spring, the bears have been denned up all winter long. They'll kind of wake up, and they'll usually pop out of their dens. They, we jokingly call it the walkabout. They'll go walk around and kind of check stuff out. And a lot of times they'll go back to sleep and they'll sleep another week or two. So you're looking for tracks and trying to find a den that they've come back to. And then we'll just sit on the den until they pop out. Or if we can see them walking, we'll just try to trail them down. And if we can find them, we'll try to get ahead of them and cut them off. Mm -hmm. And so I meet the hunter. Um, His name was Richard. He's going to come out with me. And I just, a great guy. Um, He's never hunted before um, anywhere extreme. He's from back east from Pennsylvania. He's always been just, you know, tree stands, longest shot, I think it was 80 yards. And so this is really extreme for him. And he was super nervous. He had never ridden a snowmobile. So we take him out. We're driving around on the snowmobiles trying to make sure he's comfortable. And he keeps wrecking. Like he would lean too far and fall over. The snow would get stuck. And and so I just, I had just this, this sense of, I don't know, anxiety just kept growing. And so the next morning I remember waking up and laying there in bed. And and I, I used to tell myself this all the time. I'm like, do what they're paying you for. Yeah. Like these guys are paying you to come hunt. Like you got to take them out. And this was his dream. And he paid a lot of money for this grizzly bear hunt. And, and I got up and the sky was just this flat gray, like really flat light. And the sky was just like, just weird looking. 
And I just had the worst feeling, but I'm like, I got to do what I'm getting paid for. Like, I can't, you can't get up and be like, hey, I know you spent all this money. This guy's kind of gray, so let's uh, sleep here today. Let's let's just stay in the tent today, you know? and so I said, hey, there's there's a knob that I wanted to go to. There's a, a little lake there. And I'm like, hey, let's just go out to that knob. It's a really good trail for the most part getting there so that we don't have any major ravines. I'm like, let's get out to that knob and we can glass this huge valley. And so we get out there and we get to this knob and hit wreck twice getting to the, to the knob. And we're about seven miles from the main lodge. So we're not super far on a snowmobile, but... But a distance, as, uh, yeah. As this story progresses, it becomes an almost insurmountable obstacle. We get up on the knob and we're sitting there glassing and all of a sudden I feel the wind like start to blow. It blows a little harder, blows a little harder and all of a sudden it starts blowing so hard it's creating a ground blizzard. The wind, what happened is there was literally a huge storm coming off of the Bering Sea and it, it, they ranked it as a category two hurricane. As it came in, the winds were sustained 70 miles an hour, oh and they were word. gusting to 120. Oh, my gosh. And so all of a sudden, it's not snowing, but because the wind is blowing so hard, it's, it's picking everything it's coming up. off the ground. Yeah. And so it's like you, you can't see. There's, so you've got this blanket of snow that's 30 feet in the air, but it's all off the ground. And so I just, I just had this feeling in my gut. I'm like, we're, like we're in trouble. And so I had, a, I had the old school Garmin. Mm-hmm. So I get out my Garmin. And to get to that knob, we had to go around a big ravine. There's a, there's a big, huge cut. And so we circled, circled around that ravine. Well, my, my Garmin's just telling me straight line, right? So I get on the snowmobile, and, I, and this guy's starting to kind of panic. He's super nervous. And, he's, and, he's, and so then I'm feeling even more pressure. Right. He's like, yeah. He's like, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? And I'm like, ah, we're fine. Don't worry about it. This happens all the time. Piece of cake. And so I said, hey, just, just stay right behind me. Just stay close. I'm not going to go fast, and I'll get us back to camp. And so in my mind, I, I thought I had got far enough around that ravine. And the snow was so bad that, like, I, on my snowmobile, if I was standing up and looking down, I couldn't see the skis on my oh, snowmobile. Oh, my word. Like, I could see over the windshield. I couldn't see anything So else. you're, like, legitimately just oh. following the Garmin. And it's, and it's I would get vertigo because the, <laughs> the snow would be blowing straight, and then it would be an angle. And, then it, and so you'd feel like you were wrecking, but you're – and so, like, there's a couple times I'd let go of the gas just to make sure I was still, like, sitting on the snowmobile. And so we've been going about an hour, and we've only gone less than a mile. But in my mind, I'm like, God, that ravine, like, we have to be past that. And I've got to be getting to the base of the hill. And once we get up on that hill, hopefully it's a pretty straight strut mm-hmm. back to camp. And so as I felt like we were starting to go up the hill. And I remember I had my, my thumb on the gas and I was looking at the Garmin. And all of a sudden I just had this sensation like a roller coaster when it just drops off the top. And I just felt myself falling. And I looked down. And all of a sudden, it was perfectly clear, and I'd driven off into that ravine. Oh, my word. And it's about a 50-foot drop where I went off. And so I, 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 I panicked, and I shoved myself away from the snowmobile. And I was able to get my body away. But when I, when I hit, my leg landed on an ice shelf. And the back of the snowmobile, it landed upside down. And that little metal bar on the back seat hit my, oh. hit my shin, and it just folded my leg in half. So oh. my toe... Like, you wouldn't think it would make that big a difference, but my toe was touching my quad. Like, I could see the bottom of my boot. And, and so instantly, I'm just in, like, the worst pain you can ever feel. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, he's right behind me. Yeah. Like, he's about to drive off and kill me. 
And so I, I'm screaming and I'm jerking trying to get away from the snowmobile. My legs just pinned. pinned. Well, fortunately, he's, you know, he's right on my tail light, and I just disappeared, so he stopped. Like, he just let go of the gas. And so he, he crawls over, and he looks down the ridge, and he sees me, and he's like, oh, oh shit, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets over to a point where he can get down. <clears throat> he crawls down to me, and I'm in, I'm like, I'm in the worst pain ever. Right, like, yeah. Like, my tibia and fibula well, are both snapped in half. And, lucky to be alive, because 30, yeah, it could have been 30 alive. feet and on yeah. is, like, death for death humans. Death yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and I think part of that was you know, I landed on snow, and they'd been, that snow had been blowing, so it kind of puffed up. Because mm. otherwise, I probably would have been, it would have killed me when I hit. And so he gets down there, and I'm in so much pain. I'm like, dude, you got to get my leg out. Like you've, and he couldn't lift the snowmobile, so he grabs a snowshoe, and he starts breaking off that ice shelf, and he digs a little tunnel out to where we could get my leg back down and get me just oh laying beside the snowbush. And the whole time, I'm in, like, I think I'm a total badass. I tell right. Sean all the time how badass I am. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm dying. Like, I've got tears streaming down my face, and, I'm, and I know I'm in trouble, and, I'm, and now it's starting, the realization sitting in that, hey, like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm six miles away from our main lodge, which isn't really a lodge. It's a building that we you know, put together from little teeny pieces of plywood that we could fit inside the plane. And, and I, and I'm like, I'm six miles from there and I'm a hundred and whatever, 160 miles from the Indian village. And I'm 500 miles from Anchorage. Like the chance of someone actually being able to help me, like is I'm in trouble. Yeah. And so I'm just like, man, this is like, this Plus is, there's a storm. Oh yeah. And this storm, like it's so bad. And so I told that guy, I'm trying to stay calm and he's panicking. Like he's losing it. And so I, I, I marked where I was at on my GPS. I gave it to him, and I said, look, I know where we're at now. Like, literally, this is the head of the ravine. Like, just get on your snowmobile, turn right, and just go straight. And, and you can stop and look at the ravine if you have to, but just go straight. And when you hit the mountain, it's going to go straight up, and you're literally straight to camp. You've got one big plateau, then you've got to go down a valley, and you're going to be at camp. There's a guide at camp. His name is Brian, who was a firefighter in Anchorage. So I marked my spot, and I gave him my GPS, and I said, you go get Brian. Like, go get Brian, and you tell him, you tell him I'm out here. So he jumps on the snowmobile and leaves. And so I'm sitting there in my mind, and I'm doing the math. And so I'm like, okay, he's got to go six miles. He's going to be going three or four miles an hour. You know, it's going to take him an hour and a half, two hours to get there. Brian is a phenomenal snowmobiler, and he knows the country. Brian will be here in ten minutes. So I'm like, you know, I've got two hours. Mm-hmm. And so I'm laying on the snow. And my leg, my leg is so jacked up. Like I had it, I had it straight, but the bones, um, I'll see if I, I've got the x-rays. I'll send them to you so you can upload them for the podcast. But the bones had broke almost perfectly flat, but it had offset. So my toe was off to the, off to the side. And so I, I try to lay my leg, but literally like you, you've hit your shin before, right? Oh my word. Yeah. Every time I would move at all, like if I took a breath too deep, like I could feel those bones grinding. Oh. And I, it was the worst pain ever. And so I'm sitting there trying to keep my mind busy and I'm reciting poems and I'm reciting, you know, anything I've ever memorized in my life, I'm trying to recite. And, and I'm, I'm literally sitting there thinking, you know, this is like, I've, I've got to be helped. And so I'm watching the clock and we get to two hours and I'm like, okay, it's going to be close. We get to two and a half hours and I'm like, dude, he's going to be here any second. We get to 2.45, nothing. We get to three hours and at this point, I've been laying on the snow for three hours. Yeah. And even though I'm wearing good gear, like I'm cold. Yeah, you got to be cold. 
And I can feel myself starting to get hypothermia. I'm starting to shake. And when I'm shaking, like it's making it even worse. And it's to the point where I'm crying and I'm like, all right, Heavenly Father, like, let's just be done. Yeah. Like this sucks. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I finally, I'm just to the point where I'm like, I'm like, dude, I like that. Th- he's got to be here. And so I remember looking at my watch and it was like three seventeen. And I remember this from when I was in college, I'd taken some, some classes on, you know, emergency medicine and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. the body, when it goes into hypothermia, right before the body shuts down, it does what's called an exothermic flush. Your you body get gets really to the hot. point where it says, Hey, I'm like, I've got to flush some blood to the extremities because they're, they're, they're dying. Like there's no, your body at first pulls all the blood in. Mm-hmm. And so your fingers are cold and your toes are cold. And then all of a sudden it flushes everything out. So all of a sudden, like I feel super warm. And so I've been freezing for three hours and all of a sudden I'm like, God, oh, I, I feel great. And, uh, I, I remember I had, I had a video camera. I always carry video cameras. I videotaped everything. So I got out my, I got out my video camera and did a video for my wife. And I just said, Hey babe, well, I'm sorry. Like it's a shitty way to go, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. I videotaped it and took the tape out because I, I was afraid animals would get to me, right? Took the tape out and I had a Ziploc bag for lunch bags. So I wrapped it up and tucked it down inside my pants where I figured somebody found me. <clears throat> I promise I'm a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way tougher than I'm acting. Um, but I, just, I, I figured, you know, when they found me, I want someone to be able to get that to my wife. Yeah. And uh, I remember folding my arms and just being like, like, this is it, right? And uh, I'm like, I can, I can go to sleep right now, and it's all over. Mm-hmm. No more pain. I'm comfortable. I'm warm. I'm like, I'm done. So I remember I folded my arms, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm done. Whatever. I closed my eyes, and I remember a stupid book from uh, high school. I had done a, a book report on Lord Grizzly uh, on Hugh Glass, and I, it comes to my mind. I'm like, dude, Hugh Glass got attacked by a bear. Yeah. Literally breaks his leg, chews off half of his butt, rips his back apart. And the guy crawls 180 miles over three and a half months living on grasshoppers and lives. Yeah. And I remember laying there and I'm like, you freaking pussy. Like, you've got to go six miles. <laughs> like, you can, like, that dude went 180. You can go six. And so I start looking around, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going out like this. Like, if I go out, like, if they find me, they're going to see that I tried. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at the snowmobile, and in my mind, I was thinking, God, if I, if I dug a big enough trench, I'm like, I think I could roll it over and get it back upright and either get it started again or at least get access to my gear. So I start digging this trench, and honestly, it saved my life. Just moving, and, and, I, and, I, and honestly, it's embarrassing. The trench wasn't that big. It was maybe as big as this table when they finally got there, but... In my mind, like, I feel like I'm excavating the yeah. Grand Canyon, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm digging, 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 and um, almost five and a half hours later, all of a sudden, Brian shows up. Five and a half hours yeah. of laying and there. And so what happened is Richard never ridden a snowmobile, and so he would go 100 yards and get stuck. He would dig it out, go 100 yards and get stuck. <laughs> dig it out, go 100 yards and get stuck. Which is exhausting. Exhausting. And so he finally gets to Brian. And honestly, it's a miracle that he lived through that situation. Um, The honest truth, the sad part is two years later, he died. He wrote his version of the story, and I've got the magazine that he wrote it in, but he he ended up dying two years after this incident. But 
he got back, finally got Brian, and he felt responsible. He's like, I can't not go with you. And so he followed Brian back. Well, Brian's literally a world-class snowmobiler. Yeah. And so he lost him in 10 seconds. And so then Richard ended up getting lost again out there, which is another crazy story. But Brian gets to me, and he had brought a sled and a sleeping bag. And so he comes down, and um, he, like I said, he's a firefighter. Mm-hmm. So he EMT certified. And I've passed out twice in my life. One of it was this moment. So he comes down, my legs jacked up, obviously my toes off to an angle. And he's like, dude, I got to set this. And he's like, Oh my word. He's like, this is going to hurt. And so he sits down beside me and he puts his foot right on my crotch and he just grabs my toe. Oh my And when gosh. he pulled, I just remember the whole world just going black and I was out. And so he looks at it, he pulls my toe out and he's like, eh, that looks pretty good. And he just lines it up and then he took two snow, uh, snowshoes. Wrapped my, wrapped my leg in a jacket, and then he put two snowshoes on either side of it and just took bungee cords and just bungee corded the hell out of it. And so I come back, too, and my leg is just killing me because the, they were the old-school aluminum snowshoes, yeah. and so they're digging into digging my thigh. In, yeah. I got these bungee cords, and, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I think, I think you're going to be okay, man. I think we're good to go. <laughs> so he puts me on the, snow, on the sled. We had this old wood sled, so we'd go out and cut, cut wood, and then we'd just put on the sled behind the snowmobile. Mm-hmm. Wraps me up in a blanket. And he brought my Garmin back with me. That's how he found me. And so I'm laying in this blanket, in this you know sleeping bag, and um, I'm sitting there watching. And we we go maybe a half a mile, and all of a sudden it stops. And so what happened when that storm came in? The winds are gusting like crazy, and the temperature shot through the roof. So when we left in the morning, temperatures were around the 20s, hmm. and it went up to 42 degrees. And so all of a sudden the snow got so soft that you're you're literally Breaking just digging through. through all the time. And, yeah, and so with the sled, with the dead weight of me. The sled would break through, and then that sled would just get stuck. And so he'd get me off the sled. He'd dig it out, get it back up. Which each time had to be excruciating. Excruciating. The worst pain. And then he'd get me back on the sled. So we do this three or four times. And finally, I told Brian, I'm like, Brian, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, screw this stupid sled. Like, just get me off. Let me just sit behind you, and let's just freaking go to camp. Like, Like, I'm done. And so he's like, okay. And so he goes to get off. And the sled was just a, a metal pin. Well, the pin had literally got bent because we'd done that so many times. Couldn't get it out. Oh and, uh, you know, this time, I didn't have a ton of money back then, and especially when I first started. Like, I was, you know, poor, dumb kid. And so I'd saved up, and I bought this 300 Ultra Mag, and it was like my pride and joy. And so it's funny when you get in situations like that, that all of a sudden, like, what really matters matters, right? Right, right. And so I told him, I'm like, dude, just take my gun and use like a pry bar. Like, I don't care anymore. And so he takes my rifle over there and uses the barrel and pries this sled apart. And so I get on the sled behind, get on the snowmobile behind him, and we take off, and he's flying. And I'm trying to hold my leg out and, like, absorb the shock, right? Because I'm like, it's, like it freaking oh, it hurts. hurts. And so I'm holding my, holding my gun, and I got the sleeping bag, and I'm trying to hold my leg up. And we get up on top of that plateau, and Brian stops. And he looks back at me, and he's like, He's like, buddy, this is going to hurt. And I look over his shoulder, and that wind had blown so hard that it had blown all of the snow off the plateau. Oh, my word. And so those, in Alaska, if you've never been there, Alaska is the craziest thing. They have the tundra. The tundra grows. It's not flat. It's not like a a lawn. You get these weird tussocks. So you'll get this, like, lump of tundra that will be, you know, a foot and a half, two feet around. And then it will drop down a foot and a half, two foot. And then you'll get this other one. So it's, like, the worst lumpy ground you've ever seen. Like, I tell guys all the time, guys, when they come to me and they're like, hey, what do I need to do for Alaska? The number one thing I always tell them is get in shape. 
Like it makes me laugh, and this is another podcast we can talk about some other time, like just gear and stuff. But yeah, I die laughing that these guys will spend thousands and thousands of dollars to shave a pound off a rifle. And in my mind, I'm like, dude, you need to join a gym. <laughs> like, go lose thirty, <laughs> spend like, fifty dollars, and go join a gym. Eat some chicken, <laughs> lose some weight, right? And so Brian's like, dude, this is this is gonna hurt. And so he, I'm like, dude, just go for it, man. And so I'm holding on to him, and he just freaking guns it. He's like, I'm just going to go as fast as I can. So he guns it across there. And it's a long ways. Like, it's probably half a mile, maybe oh, three-quarters of a word. mile. And, and we're flying along, and, and the wind's super loud. And I can hear a woman screaming. And I'm like, dude, this is the craziest thing. Like, the wind is like, like, I, like it literally sounds like a woman screaming. And we get, like, halfway across, and I'm like, holy shit, that's me. <laughs> like, I'm just like, ah! <laughs> He's just hauling ass. We get the other side. I'm like, dude, you gotta stop. I'm like, holy shit, you gotta stop. Like, just give me a minute. Like, I'm, dude, I'm in so much pain. And he thought when I said we gotta stop, and it's funny to hear him tell the story now. He thought when I said we gotta stop is like I wanted to just stop and be done. And so he turns around and he gives me like the best Tony Robbins speech you ever heard in your life. <laughs> we can't stop. You have to keep going. We never quit. And I'm like, no, I just need a minute. And I'm crying. I'm like, just give me a second, dude. <laughs> and so he finally, he's like, I get, I get back. I'm like, okay, I think I can handle it. And so we, we finally get back to camp and we pull into camp and now Richard's gone. Oh my and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And so now I'm sick to my stomach. And so they, they drag me into camp and. Yeah, we we built that one main shack, mm-hmm. and so we get in there, and I'm laying on the ground, and and now I'm stressed. I'm like, dude, Richards, like, who the hell knows? Yeah. And at this point, the wind starts kind of a little bit of a lull. It dropped down to about forty or fifty, and so they're out there with flashlights and and screaming and yelling. And he ends up coming in. Um, I'd wrecked um, a little little before eleven o'clock is when I had wrecked. We got to camp um, right before midnight. By the time we finally got there, and then Richard ends up walking in at two in the morning. Oh, and so his snowmobile got stuck, and he ended up just walking back, just post holing at every step. And so he finally comes back, and and so I'm laying there, and we just, uh, to all of our discredit, none of us had ever thought that far ahead, and so we didn't have any pain medicine, we didn't have any splints, we didn't have we didn't have anything, and and so the outfitter, who's a good friend of ours, um, he gets on the the phone they have a satellite link he gets on the satellite link and calls gets hold of a doctor in anchorage and i can remember him like he's in the little little office yeah. thing talking and i can remember him and he's this really gruff alaskan guy and, and so i can just hear one side of the conversation and so he's like so if his toes are pink then he's not gonna die right <laughs> i'm just thinking holy crap like it doesn't get any worse i'm, like, I'm gonna die and so i end up i'm laying there on this on the floor and that storm ended up going for three days Oh and my word! And the, you're just laying there the whole time, and I, do anything. and I was in so much pain, I didn't want to move, and so I refused to eat because I'm like, if I eat something, like my buddies are gonna have to help me go outside and yeah. take a crap in the outhouse. Yeah. And so I, I literally didn't eat anything. I just drank, and we had a bottle of Tylenol, and I would just suck on Tylenol, and I, I don't know that it even made a difference. But finally, three days later, the weather got low enough that we could get on the plane and get to the Indian village, and then. It's it's funny looking back now, you know, because 9-11's happened now and yeah. the airline regulations have changed so much. I can remember them. 
they laid me on a blanket and they took me on this little turbo prop and literally just laid me in the aisle way, like not a seat, no yeah. seatbelt or anything. Yeah. And I'm laying there holding my rifle. <laughs> and people are like just stepping over me. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So we fly to Anchorage and um, the outfitter's wife picked me up and took me to the hospital. And kind of the culmination, this is the last kind of funny part was um, I'm LDS and mm-hmm. I've never, I, at that point in my life, I'd never been exposed to any drugs. I didn't know what, what drugs were, right? And, and so I'm sitting there in the hospital, and I come in, and they, they x-ray my leg, and they're like, hey, it's set pretty good. So this foot, it actually, my toe toes in about three degrees from where it should be. And at the time, I'd never done any endurance sports. I do a bunch now, but the guy's like, well, unless you're a marathon runner or triathlete, he's like, you're totally fine. And so now I do that crap. My, my leg will start hurting me like mile 20. It still hurts because my toe's at the wrong angle. But they come in, and they give me a shot of morphine, and... All of a sudden, I'm just like in heaven. I'm yeah, like, dude, this crap's amazing. So I don't have a shirt on. I just had a little gown on, and they got my leg propped up. And this nurse comes in, and she's like, what in the hell? And she, like, runs off. And all of a sudden, the, the doctor comes back in, and he's looking at me. He checks my pulse, and he goes, he goes, are you Mormon? And I go, yeah. And he turns to the nurse, and he goes, I don't worry about it. It's just virgin veins. And I looked down, and where they had shot me with the morphine, my veins, every one of them are just, just puffed like, out, like just like all the way across my like, looks like Spider Man. Like <laughs> and he's just like, no, that's the reaction. People that have never been exposed to any, like morphine, I guess, will just a super diovasculator, like it just expands. Oh my word, the vessels. So at the end of the day, you ended up making it through. But it's one of those. It was a good that learning lesson for crazy for all of us. You know that. It's one of those things, like, we all love the outdoors. Yeah. And hopefully anybody listening to this podcast, you know, take a minute to just evaluate your situation and the hunts mm-hmm. that you go on and make sure you're prepared. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, nowadays we're a lot better off just because we have Garmin inReaches, we can communicate, yeah. we have satellite phones. But it's one of those things that's worth it to to make sure if there is an emergency, you're going to be able to handle it, you're going to be able to get someone back to safety. Yeah. And if it's you, are you going to be able to get someone to come help you? So That's such good advice. What a, scary a crazy story, story Tyrell. Made it Dude, through. you are so lucky to be here. Yeah, pretty lucky. There was, there's multiple things that had to happen just oh, right yeah. in yeah. order for you to, to make it out. Yeah, it was, a, it was one of those that was an eye-opener for sure. Wow. It was pretty lucky. It was crazy. Thank you for yeah. coming on oh, and no, sharing that it, with Thanks us. For, as like incredible. I said, I don't usually cry. I'm way tougher. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me teared up too. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, have a, you? Last question. Have you watched that video since then? Never watched it. I no. couldn't. No, unfortunately. Uh, Has anybody in your family watched it? No, unfortunately, I went through a, a divorce a couple years ago, and and so multiple reasons I won't watch it now. But I, I still have it. It's in my safe. Um, but no, I've never. I've never watched. It. I don't know that I could, man. <laughs> oh, I couldn't. I could <laughs> so, not. Yeah, I've, no, I've still got it, but I've never, I've never watched. Nobody's ever seen it. Good. So, good. The crappy right. part is there's actually a really cool footage of a wolf right before that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd kind of like to see. <laughs> I still want to see the rest. <laughs> yeah. Oh my word! Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What an incredible story. Tyrell, thank you so much for coming on the CutterCast and sharing it with us. It's such a good reminder to be prepared when you step out in the wilderness because Mother Nature does not care about you and you never know what could happen. I am grateful that all those little things that needed to happen in order for you to live happened and that you'd be willing to come and share that with us. 
And I'm also grateful for all of you who are watching and listening wherever it might be. Please leave us a comment, leave us a review. Go ahead and hit that like button, subscribe if you will. We greatly appreciate it. And until next time, bye.